Our invitation song will be 988. And please mark 469. Let's all be standing and singing. Faith is a victory, folks. really is. Encamped along your hills of life, the Christian soldiers rise and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory Faith is a victory, oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph drawn. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath, Trapped on or every field, the faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. To him that overcomes the foe, white radiance shall be given. Before the angels he shall know his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light, with hearts with love aflame, will vanquish all the host of night. In Jesus' conquering name, faith is a victory, faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. Amen. Thank you. All right. Boy, it's good to be here this morning. It's, uh, I've had a busy month doing a lot of reading and studying, and I've enjoyed it and appreciated it. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a funny thing. Someone said, how's your time off been? And I thought, well, I haven't really had time off. I thought my, my job this last month was the same as it was last year, and I was pretty busy last year. Um, I was doing a lot of things, just not preaching, so still doing that. Uh, but man, it's really good to be back up here today. I, I'm excited um, to be sharing with you. I want to spend a couple of weeks talking about new beginnings. Uh, there's a lot of members here that have different things going on in their lives, and, and where you're experiencing uh, the challenges that often come from new beginnings, the ending of an old thing and the beginning of something new. And um, and this week, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about uh, a few months ago where I was, I was at Vintage Coffee, uh, and Carrie brought over 
uh, a good friend of hers. And Carrie can make a good friend in five minutes, which is about how long I think they knew each other. Uh, it takes me about a year to make as good of a friend as Carrie does in a few minutes. Uh, it's one of the blessings that God's given her. And she comes over and she says, this is my new friend. And, and I've been talking to her about her story and where she is and where she's been. Um, I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. And she started to tell me about her life, about how uh, she had just recently moved to Oklahoma from California uh, about how she was here and she was going to a church, but it, she, she was attending, but not really part of it. Uh, she was there, but she wasn't really connecting, and she was looking for something else. Uh, and Carrie said, I just wanted her to meet you. And, and so we started visiting. And, and I said, well, tell me where you've been going here in Oklahoma. And she told me the church she's been attending, and, and I knew the church. And I said, well, if you're used to that style of worship, ours is going to be a little bit different. I said, we're a church that believes that, that faith and obedience to God and his people is an ancient thing. And so we worship God in ancient ways. We may not be the most big or entertaining show in town, uh, but I think you'll find that we're a special kind of family. And she said, well, that's okay. I'm not looking for entertainment or a show. Uh, what I'm looking for is a place where I could build relationships, meet people, and I just need to start a new chapter to my life. She says, I need a fresh start. And I said, well, then you really actually need to come to Northwest. Because if there's two things that Northwest is good at, one of them is building relationships with people, and the other thing is that we love being a part of people's next chapters. We love it. And we're a church that's full of people who needed a next chapter sometime in the past and that we're living forward into our new chapter today. You should come be a part of what we are and who we are as a family. And we talked for a while, and unfortunately she hasn't been here, but I've thought about her several times over the past several months. And I've thought about her, and I've prayed that God, even though it wasn't at Northwest, I hope. And I pray that she's found her people, her people that are part of God's family, they're helping her into her next chapter. Because it's not always easy to do that. You know, the Bible really is a whole book of people that are looking for and living out their new beginnings. And I want to look at several of these this morning. I want to start in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 uh, tells the story uh, of that's come to be known as the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2, uh, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, this is talking about Jesus, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones 
first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This woman gets caught in a mess. And the crowd takes her, and she becomes the victim of this mob as they try and take her out. Uh, the mob and her own decisions, but the mob takes her to Jesus, and they're doing it not to humiliate her. They're doing it to trap Jesus. And they want to catch him in a problem, because Jesus, on the one hand, if he says to the crowd, yes, stone this woman, loses credibility with all the people that he's been preaching to about mercy and compassion, and, and all of the people that he has welcomed into this community of disciples that he has been welcoming, and he's been doing all of these things. But on the other hand, if Jesus says to them, if he says to them, just forgive her, don't worry about it, then they can say, then I guess you don't believe in the law of Moses. I guess that you're not the kind of person who believes that we should obey God's rules and God's law. And they think they've got him trapped. And Jesus kneels down and he starts writing in the ground. And we don't know what he wrote. There's plenty of speculation, but I'm not going to guess today. What Jesus knows is that this woman is ready for her next chapter. What Jesus knows is that this woman needs a fresh start and a new life and to get away from the things in her past that have got her to this moment. And he knows that and he looks at the crowd and what he sees when he looks into the crowd is a group of people who have all at one point or another in their lives needed a fresh start. Because they've lived out their mistakes. They've known what it is to do things the wrong way, and now they're trying to live the right way. And here they are trying to catch Jesus in a trap, probably with the best intentions. But here they are at this moment doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. And Jesus says, listen, let whichever one of you has never sinned throw the first stone. And do you ever notice who leaves first? It's the old ones. It's the wise ones. The young, uh, the young adults that have gathered around in this mob, this angry mob, and are ready to cast any stone that they need to. When Jesus says, haven't you all needed a fresh start before? Haven't you all needed a new start and a new chapter before? The old wise ones immediately flash back to the moment that they could have been where that woman is now. And their stones fall to the ground. And they walk away. And we don't know the demographics of the group, but I like to think uh, that, there, that there were some adults there whose parents were the first ones to drop a stone. Can you imagine if you were there and you're in this mob and all of a sudden Jesus says, let you without sin cast the first stone. And then your mom drops the stone and turns around and you think, Mom? What has mom done? Wait, what have I done? And the crowd is, this washes over them slowly, one at a time, and you hear the sound of these stones hitting the pavement. You hear the sounds of the memories of times that all these people needed a next chapter. And they leave. And Jesus stands up and he says to the woman, is no one left 
No, there's no one left. And he says, has no one condemned you? No one, she said. And then Jesus says this, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Go now and leave your life of sin. He says, go now and stop doing the bad stuff that has got you to this moment in your life. Go now and start your next chapter. He, he says, don't stay here. Go to somewhere better, somewhere newer. Go to the place that God is calling you to do. Don't let this be the end of your story. Go now and leave the life of the bad stuff in the baggage and really live the new life that God's calling you to live. Because our God is a God of next chapters. John chapter 5, there's another story. This time a man, a man who's been lame for many years. In John chapter 5, it tells us that sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And it's surrounded by five covered colonnades. And a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which he, this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. The story's got a lot of layers to it. And I don't want to get into all of them today, but what I want to do is this. Jesus walks up to the man and he says to the man, sir, do you want to get well? He says to this layman, and the question seems ridiculous, because if you were, were stricken with paralysis and lameness, if you were forced to beg and to wait for someone else to come and to meet all of your needs, and all you were doing was laying by this pool, hoping that when the water stirred and you were praying for a miracle, that you would be the one in that might be healed by the faith that God would do this in the waters. And Jesus says to the man, do you know that if you get better, you've got to start a new chapter? You've got to live a new life. Things won't be the same again. They're going to be different. And the man doesn't actually answer the question. The man replies to Jesus with logistics. Do you want to get well? He said, it doesn't matter what I want. I can't get to the water when it stirs. I can't get healed. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to happen. And then Jesus tells him, get up, 
take your mat and walk. And it's a Sabbath, and the Jews are supposed to be resting. And so when some of the, the leaders of the Jews see him walking around carrying his mat, they say, hey, you, man, you're not supposed to be carrying your mat today. And he says, tell that to the guy that told me to walk when I couldn't walk before. When he said, pick up my mat, I picked up my mat. And they say, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat? Do you notice the part they skipped? They didn't say, who's this fellow who told you to walk when you couldn't walk? Skipped that part. They just want to know who told him to carry his mat and told him to work on the Sabbath. And they're caught up in the little stuff because they forget that this guy's getting to live his next chapter. They're caught up in the details. They'd rather hold this guy back than see Jesus set him free. And then Jesus catches the guy again. And, and I don't fully understand why Jesus says this to the man. It doesn't develop it. I, I don't know if there's a, some connection between this guy's sin and his paralysis or if Jesus is just telling him, listen, guy, you need to live a different way. But he tells the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And without getting into to the weeds of that statement, here's what I want to do. What I want to tell you is that Jesus recognizes that when you're walking into a new chapter of your life that you couldn't walk into before, in this guy's case, literally walking where you could not walk before, why not take that as an opportunity for transformation? Jesus knows that when you're at the beginning of something new, it's time to check some of the stuff that's old. It's time to leave behind the sin and the baggage from your old life. It's time to fully engage in the new chapter by leaving the bad stuff behind. But it's not just people that are down in the dumps and people that are struggling with physical ailments and are having a tough life. It's not just people that are caught in sin. New beginnings happen even among the greatest leaders in the New Testament. John chapter 21, there's the story uh, where Peter has just denied Jesus three times. Prior to this story in the Gospel of John, there's a time that, that Peter says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, you actually won't. And Peter says, how could you say that? I will, if it means dying for you, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, here, here's what you need to know. For the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Peter can't believe this is going to happen, but then suddenly Jesus is arrested and Jesus is taken to trial before the Jewish leaders and he's on his way to trial before the Roman authorities and Peter is terrified. And Peter, when he's confronted with being uh, connected to Jesus in some way, denies that he knows Jesus to a guard. He denies that he knows Jesus uh, to someone else that asks him and then he eventually denies that he knows Jesus to a young girl that he's even afraid of this girl to tell her, yes, I know him. Yes, I was with him. And after Jesus is crucified and is raised on the third day, he appears to Peter. And here's how this conversation goes, starting in John chapter 21 and verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. 
This is when Jesus says to them, cast your net on the other side. And after a night of catching nothing, they do that. They catch 153 fish. They're all big fish. And what's incredible about that is the nets are suddenly strong enough to carry them. And they carry them to the shore. All 153 of these fish. And Jesus says to them, hey, bring some of those fish you've just caught. And Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Jesus goes up to Peter. When Jesus first met Peter, his name was Simon. And they've been on a journey and they've been through a lot. And Simon has this ability to spout off his mouth and to jump to things and to be passionate in success and passionate in failure. And he's always running into, running into the dark rooms and then trying to figure out what he's going to do when he gets in there. This is Simon's nature. And as Simon lives through all of that, it culminates in him. And uh, now as Peter, as Jesus has changed his name to Peter, which means rock. And Jesus says to him three times, do you love me? And there's this, this idea here in the text that as Peter has just denied Jesus three times, that Jesus now gives him three times to affirm his love for him. And as Peter goes through that three-time affirmation of his love for Jesus, it starts to hurt him to know that Jesus is questioning his love. It starts to hurt him that after everything they've been through, that, that Peter is saying, Jesus do you really have to ask me a third time? But in this story, what Jesus is doing is closing the old chapter on Peter's life so that Peter can get ready for the chapter that's about to open. Because Peter's about to start a new job description, no longer a disciple and follower, but now a leader and a preacher and a missionary. He's not going to be the one anymore who's following the good shepherd. He's going to be the one who's taking care of Jesus' sheep. 
And if Peter's going to be able to go into this new chapter, he's got to be ready to get out of the old chapter. And so Jesus is helping him to deal with closing what needs to be closed so that he can open what needs to be opened. Acts chapter 9 tells us a similar story about a man named Saul. A man named Saul who uh, had become a persecutor of Christians, who was there holding the coats of the people who were doing the stoning at the stoning of Stephen, one of the earliest deacons and leaders in the church. Saul's on his road to Damascus with letters from the Jewish leaders that give him permission to persecute even more Christians. And it says here that as he's going to do that, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called the earliest groups of Christians, that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went, prayed over him, Saul's baptized, and something like scales fell from his eyes as Saul began moving and walking into God's next chapter for him. You see, the Bible is feel, filled over and over again with stories of people who are living into, walking into with God and, and through Jesus and the power of the Spirit that are walking into their next chapter and their new beginning. And I want to talk about this right now at Northwest because we are a church that, that in the next couple of weeks is going to have a lot of our families are going to send their kids and a lot of our, even our adults are going back to school. The calendar has built into it every year certain new beginnings. And we often think about them at the beginning of the year in January, but for our kids and our families, August and September is more of a new beginning than January is. And to our kids that are here that are students and at school, this year is an opportunity for you as you go back to school in the next couple of weeks for you to start a new chapter. 
There may be some things that you did last year that you're thinking, man, I don't want to do that again this year. I need to leave some of those uh, bad habits, those bad ideas, those bad practices. I need to check some of those at the door of the schoolroom. But there's all kinds of new beginnings. We've got new marriages, new babies, new life stages. We've got new retirements. We've got people that are launching new jobs and new careers. Uh, we have people who've, who've lost loved ones. And their new chapter may not be as fun and filled with love and company as their last chapter, but it is nonetheless a new chapter and God walks with them. And in all of these transitions and in all of these changes and in all of these new beginnings, the ones we want and the ones we don't, Jesus sees in every one of these new beginnings an opportunity for you to be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ and less in the image of who you were when he found you. Amen. And the first thing that we have to do if we're going to allow God to powerfully bring us into this next chapter in this new beginning, into this, this newness of life that God sees in store for us, is we're going to have to leave some old stuff behind. The woman who was caught in adultery is told, go now and leave your life of sin. And that seems obvious. She's just been caught in this sin and dragged out to this public square and shamed and humiliated. And the most obvious thing in the world uh, is to look at her and say, hey, could you do me a favor and just not do that again? But the reality is that every one of us knows someone that's been in an unhealthy or bad relationship in the past. And we've gone to them and we've said, you need to leave this person. And that conversation's harder and tougher and more difficult than we assume this one was with Jesus. He's telling her that she's got to leave something that she has entered into uh, probably with great consideration. She knew the cost. She knew the, the cost that could happen if she was caught in this adulterous relationship. And she did it anyways because she thought it was worth it. And now she's been caught in it. And Jesus says, you've got to stop living that life. You've got to leave that relationship. You've got to get things back where they need to be. Jesus goes to the lame man and he says, do you want to get better? And the question is live. The question is real. Jesus wants to know, are you willing to give up laying here? Are you willing to give up being dependent on others? Are you willing to, to actually live forward a life of you being responsible for yourself and for others? Because I'm about to tell you to get up and take your mat and walk. But if I do, there's no going back to laying here anymore. You're going to have to leave all of that behind and be willing to live a new life. Can you imagine if a week later Jesus walked back by the pool of Bethesda and this man was laying there on his mat? And Jesus said, man, didn't I heal you? Yes. Can't you still walk? I can, but it turns out that new life is tough. So I just thought I'd come lay here for a while with my old friends and see what happened. That would be insanity for him to go back and live the life of a lame man waiting to be healed when Jesus has healed him and given him this new chapter and new life. It would, be, it would be crazy for Peter to go back into the shame and fear that he was experiencing the night when he denied Jesus three times and the rooster crowed and he suddenly realizes what he's done to his friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's got to get ready to be a shepherd. Peter's got to get ready 
to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's got to get ready with James and John to be the one that stands up with the other disciples at Pentecost and preaches to the crowd that he was just terrified of with courage, without any fear of what might happen to him, to preach to them that Jesus who they crucified is Lord and Savior. And if he's going to be able to do that when he needs to in the book of Acts, he's got to be able to leave behind his fear and his shame and his guilt over what's happened before and be ready to add what is new by taking away that which is old. Paul has to give away his titles, his honor, his prestige. He's gone from Jew among the Jew and Pharisee among the Pharisees to being the one who is now going to go from persecutor to persecuted. He's going to be stoned and left for dead. He's going to be imprisoned instead of the one putting others in prison. He's got to give up honor and prestige and, and being the one that gets to sit at the head of the table to the one that people are embarrassed when he walks into their home. He's going to be the one who is the persecutor of Gentile and Jewish Christ followers, and he's got disdain for Gentiles, and he's got to leave all that behind if he's going to become the person that God is calling him to be, the missionary to the Gentiles, the one who will be the writer of Scripture and the one who will shape and form churches across the world. Before he can do any of that, he's got to leave a lot of old stuff behind. The next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how it is that we go through the difficult work of going through new beginnings and new chapters and seeing what God has in store for us. But before we can really start that conversation, the first thing we have to do is figure out what God needs us to leave behind. What we tend to want to do when we get baptized and become a new Christian and have that new life and that new beginning, what we tend to want to do is to add new good stuff but let me just hold on to some of my bad stuff. We say, I, I want to sober up in my life. I want to leave behind a, a life of drugs and alcohol and addiction. Okay, what are you going to do? Well, I'll just keep all my friends and make better choices. Maybe you might have to lose some of those friends to be ready to make the right choices. You may need to leave part of that chapter of your life in the past so that you can pull this part of your new chapter into your future. It may be if you're getting ready to go back to school and you're thinking, I want to have better grades this year, that before you can add more time to study, you may have to subtract less time for Netflix and social media. It's only when you open up that part of your life and your time and your schedule that you have room to add studying. Because I can tell you from experience that you can't add studying and subtract sleep and end up in a good place. I've tried, and it only works for a little while. Sometimes we've got to get rid of the old so that Jesus can bring us into the new. And it's hard work. The woman caught in adultery has to leave behind someone that she may be in love with. The lame man has to live behind a life that he's grown very accustomed to. Peter's going to have to leave behind fear and shame to be able to stand up with courage to do what Jesus needs him to do. Paul's got to leave behind titles and honor to become the one who gets stoned, imprisoned, and persecuted. You can't become who God wants until you're ready to leave behind who he needs you to quit being. 
And so the first step in your new beginning is to do what it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, which is this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The first thing that you have to do if you want to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ is to throw off whatever is holding you back, whatever it is that you don't want to let go of, whatever's part of your last chapter that's keeping you out of your next chapter, you have to cast it off. And then let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured on the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Throw off what's holding you back. Run the race marked out for us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who's already shown you the way, And he's shown you the courage it takes to get there. But the challenge for this week is this. If you're someone today that's standing in your new beginning, you're on the first page of your next chapter, whether it's a new marriage, a new family, a new baby, a new job, whether it's a new school year, uh, whether God's calling you to step out in faith in, in some way that is radical, whether you're one of the people that's made the decision to be baptized this year at Northwest, whatever your new chapter is, are you willing to start your new chapter with courage by letting go of the stuff that's been holding you in your last chapter? Because you can't get both. What is the thing that you need to let go of in your life right now so that Jesus can take you where he wants to lead you, so he can help you to become who God's calling you to be? Are you willing to subtract something that you don't need anymore to add something that God can't wait to give you and bless you with? Because let me tell you, church, God's ready to go with you into your next chapter but you might have to leave something behind before you can walk with him. If you need to make that decision or commitment to walk with Jesus or to be part of this family, to be saved, to be baptized into Jesus Christ, or to make any commitment to leave something behind so that you can go where God's calling you to go, please come forward this morning as we stand and sing. When the Savior calls, I will answer. When he calls for me, I will hear.